I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Greetings from Hanoi, Bratislava, and Kansas City. My name is Henrik. And you're listening to the Check Your Facts podcast. So, Henrik, uh, a lot has happened recently, right? <laughs> it sure has, David. Pretty exciting stuff, actually. Uh, exactly. For starters, you are in Hanoi, the capital of Vietnam, which means that this episode spans across three zones and I guess three different, um, well, and that's, that's, that's a record for us. Uh, so what about your old jet lag? <laughs> yeah, I've been a lot less jet lag than I expected, but I'm getting a little bit sleepy now. It's already 10 p.m. over here, so if I say crazy stuff, I will just blame the jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Henrik. Uh, anyway, we recently launched a new feature, uh, the, the micro podcast blogging uh, app. Uh, we call it Fact of the Day. For all of you listeners who haven't seen it, you know, we can tell it. it's a feature where uh, we publish uh, facts on carefully selected topics. Uh, we try to do it daily, but sometimes. Yeah, uh, a few times uh, a week. Not every day. <laughs> <laughs> so far, we've published a few different facts, and uh, we actually plan to to, to track like daily or a few weekly yeah and we also right, Henrik. yeah exactly and uh, we also created a medium series to accompany this feature and in the medium series we publish short summaries of every fact with useful links so if you have a medium account you should subscribe to updates to the series and also give us a few claps if you like it yeah definitely do so uh, uh, you should also favorite our station on anchor so you can like, it's like not a favorite, it's more like a subscribe. And then you can hear uh, the full stories. And if you don't have the Anchor app, we urge you to download the app because we both love it. Don't we, David? Where do, Henry? Uh, and there's there's a lot of high quality, like audio content in the, in the app. And uh, this is actually not an ad, an advertisement. We just so much love the, 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 <laughs> the whole platform. <laughs> exactly. And it actually looks great. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more visual now than it was before. So just like the Medium series, which is also a pretty new format, uh, it's a very modern approach to visual storytelling. Yes, and speaking about storytelling, uh, this, this is the right cue to introduce yes so with that being said let's welcome our next guest on the podcast rachel salon journalist and visual storyteller hello thanks for having me uh so so rachel uh how are you doing good i am in kansas city visiting right now but i normally live in miami um and i'm happy to be here Nice. How's, how's the weather in Miami, I, I wonder? Is it like hot all the time? It is, and I actually read that it's very, very day there. Um, and it's one of my favorite things about Miami. It is always warm. How about Kansas City? Oh, nice. It's getting there. It's trying to get into spring. It's still a little chilly, but it's, it's working on it. Sounds terrific. So, 
so Henrik, I guess we should we should tell the story how uh, we um, we got to new digital Slack community which we are part of. Um, I think it was you who posted uh, the the link to her newsletter. Yes. Um. And that's that that was the how I subscribed to it and I love it. Yeah. And uh, we should perhaps uh, so tell tell we should perhaps say the name of the newsletter. It, it's uh, best in visual storytelling. And yeah, it's uh, is it is it is it weekly, uh, Rachel? I don't remember now, or is it like more often? Yeah, it's weekly-ish. I run, I curate the newsletter, which has the best in visual storytelling. It's things that catch my eye in photography, interactive, graphics, and basically anything interesting in visuals. And I send it about once a week. It kind of depends on when I come across things that I want to include. Okay, so nice. how did you, why did you decide to create this newsletter? I started doing it actually as an internal product at the last place I worked at, which was Fusion. And I wanted to inspire the editors and show them what the possibilities were within visual storytelling. So I started a newsletter where they could see examples and I was hoping that it would strike um, inspiration when they had stories that they could work with um, the team that I ran, which was the interactive team. and. Fusion in December or in November when I was laid off, I decided to open it up um, into a public newsletter and invite people from the journalism community as well. So, what did you do when you worked um, at this news outlet? I was the interactive editor, and so I ran a team of designers and developers where we basically did all of the visual projects, whether that was like long form storytelling, graphics, data analysis. Uh, we did a lot of investigative projects, collaborating with the investigative team. We were basically the go-to team for anything that we wanted to be special or experimental. Wow. And have you also worked on, on the uh, release of the Panama Papers uh, reporting? I didn't personally work on that, but members of my team before I got there um, were working on Panama Papers, yes. Nice. Very nice. So, for how long have you have you worked with visual storytelling in journalism, in digital journalism? I've been working in visual storytelling my entire career. I started out as a print designer, actually, for a newspaper. And then I learned to code and I started to get into digital design, which led me to do things like interactive journalism and graphics and um, fun visual storytelling. And from there, I've worked as a front-end designer, a front-end developer, and then I recently I've been managing teams that do that kind of work. So what kind of coding do you do? Is it like JavaScript, CSS and stuff, markup uh, or? Yeah, my skills are in front end HTML, CSS and JavaScript. But there have been people that on the teams that I've run that are also back end developers and do a lot of database work um, and much more advanced stuff than the stuff I actually know how to do. Um, can, can I have just a, a, one question? You said you were part of the the, the... Uh, like you left Fusion, 
on your Twitter stream, I, I read you, you have the the tweet pinned that uh, you were part of the fusion layoffs and uh, you're looking for work. And I see a lot of like it got a lot of uh, like retweets and favorites and also replies. So was was this a way to get a new job for you? Like, did it work? Um, it hasn't worked yet, but I'm hoping <laughs> that it will. I was part of the fusion layoffs. They did a ton of layoffs um and so i've been applying and interviewing at places ever since but i do think that twitter is a really effective way to get your name out there and share your portfolio i know that um a lot of my colleagues who were also laid out laid off we have been able to um for each other and to raise awareness of different people um, and kind of use our net, our Twitter networks um, to help give everyone a boost. So, no, about... actually, no, go Sorry, ahead. No. Go, go on, Henry. No, I was just uh, thinking um, about the newsletter. Do you uh, have you added it to your resume? I have the newsletter on site which is rachelshallon.com i don't think i have it on my printed out resume mm -hmm. but i do have the link to my newsletter on my digital resume so how many subscribers do you have you don't have to answer if you don't want to but i have almost 500 that's good wow. that's a lot more than we have <laughs> 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 It's uh, yeah, maybe two zeros more. <laughs> so it's a pretty low number as far as newsletters go, but it's for a very niche audience. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. People write, um, reply to tell me that they enjoy it, or people have started to send me projects that they want me to consider putting in there. So I'm really happy with the engagement that it's gotten. Yeah. No, I mean, you don't really have to have like a thousand or ten thousand audience if you have like a small and really engaged like niche audience. At least that's like my opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, hmm. one thing I've been wondering about is actually it's two things, but we can start with with the first one. And that's um, in this newsletter. You summarize the best in storytelling, uh, the best visual storytelling story features you've seen during the week or like recently. Um, but since you started this newsletter, which are you know the the top the top two or top three uh, visual storytelling pieces you've seen? Oh. I don't know if I could narrow it down. There are so many, and I also find somewhat hard to compare them to each other. Um, but if I, let me rephrase let me, it. Let me, if, if we say like this, what, what makes a really good visual storytelling piece? So something that I'm always looking for in visual storytelling is that the visuals add to the story. They make you understand the story better or they make the story more engaging. I'm not really interested in something that just makes it prettier or that makes things 
flash or um, our fancy. I want something that helps me understand the story. And those kinds of things are what I like to highlight in my newsletter. Another thing that I try really hard to do is to highlight visual storytelling that comes from places other than major news outlets such as the New York Times or the Washington Post. Of course, I almost always have at least one item from the big places just because they're doing such fantastic work. But I know that there's also good work coming from smaller news outlets um, like the Dallas Morning News. I've included local places like the Miami Herald. Um, and I like to make sure that I'm highlighting those outlets to give them um, a boost in audience as well. I read your last, uh, last which came out, was it uh, yesterday or the day before? Yesterday, yes. No? Yesterday, right? And, um, and it, uh, what got me a little bit interesting was you included also the, the piece by the LA Times about uh, the the uh, lying president uh or uh, yes that, that's, that's the way it was called and uh it it, it sh- sh- struck me like wow well, this there's almost like non-visual there but you still get that like black and white like visual storytelling because of the, uh, the, the how they like managed to do it so That was quite amazing as well that you included such a work. Yeah, what I liked about that is you could tell that they took the time to think about the presentation and they wanted it to other opinion articles, um, but they didn't go over the top. So I thought it was I thought it hit that balance really well. It definitely told me that they spent more time on it and that they were proud of it and they wanted you to see it as special. And also, um, there, there was the the piece by the New York Times about Uber. We, we will all inc- include the, uh, all the links. You can like uh, check them out in the description of the ep- episode, and like be sure to subscribe. We will also add the link to like Rachel's newsletter, so you can uh, subscribe to it. But uh, so again, the the New York Times piece about Uber, uh, how they are like uh, uh, making like incentives for the drivers to like go and drive. And there was like a, a lot it was like uh for me it looked really like uh like visualizationally a lot of like uh it work there like developers right am i am i right or was it like just it wasn't like uh, only like um uh sort of how, <clears throat> so 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 you, you know you know the the, the uber piece Right. Yeah. So that one would have been a combination of development and animation and illustration. Um, I think that's a good example of people with different skill sets coming together to create um, a, a really good project. And that one I included because the graphics autoplay, they didn't require you to touch a lot of buttons, which I think is going to be interesting. Um, as we move forward. There was an article not that long ago that was calling for the death of interactive graphics that they took too long and um, they weren't, people weren't engaging with them as much as the creators thought that they were. So I'm interested to see if this autoplay type of graphic is going to become the new the new hit thing. 
And also there was there was an article and I'm I'm not sure if it was the same but uh, I heard heard some voices from New York Times that they're like making the they they made some changes to the interactive team so that they don't do not produce that many interactive pieces but uh, more like they will produce less and which are like uh, better like thought uh, about like uh, as you said so it will yeah. move if you do not touch it so like quality so instead of quantity this, this... yeah yeah do you see this like uh, something happening in any other news organizations or is like new york times a... yeah i think for a while a lot of news organizations just wanted to have these teams so they could put out projects that looked really nice um, so that they felt like they were competing on the same level as all the other news organizations. And I think now we're seeing more thought put behind the interactives and we're choosing to do projects that make sense, you know, that they really add to the storytelling and that they're not just there to be flashy, like I was saying earlier. But, and so I do think that we are hitting a quality over quantity. And that comes from years of looking at reader engagement data as well. We're we're starting to have a better idea of what people want and what they don't want. And I'm glad that teams are starting to really look at that and implement implement those findings into into their work. Also talking about interactive teams and also the fact that that you are yourself programming um, but you're a, a, a journalist who can can program and a lot of lots of experts actually say that it will be vital for journalists to be able to create uh, databases and analyze data and even do some programming some coding what do you think uh, about that do you think it's vital for for digital journalists to be able to to do at least simple programming i don't think that all journalists need to know how to code the advice that i give to college students is to have an understanding of the different departments in a news organization enough to be able to communicate with them effectively so that you can collaborate so you should know just enough about coding and just enough about, let's say, video editing or the different parts of the news organization that you might not know how to do, you should know them enough to be able to collaborate with them. Um, I think that coding is an excellent way to do journalism. There's just so much opportunity there for data analysis and data graphics. And I, um, I think it's a really exciting part of journalism to be in, but I don't think that it's the only way um to do journalism obviously um and so as long as you can collaborate with them i think you're good to go hmm. so um uh rachel uh well as, as we see it in in europe because uh, a lot of this interactive work is mainly done in the u.s actually in the u.s i do not see that many uh, news organizations like uh, uh competing who will do better graphics or interactives uh can you like do you also look at the like the whole world or is it like main, mainly u.s media i'm looking at mainly u.s media but we do see a good amount of work coming out of the guardian um mm. both um the traditional guardian and the guardian u.s 
Yeah. That's probably where I'm seeing the most work internationally. I could do a better job of knowing more international outlets so I can keep my eyes peeled for it. What about the news agencies like uh, Reuters and AP and stuff? AP does have an interactive team on Twitter, hmm? some of their work. Um, it has their work, I think, especially in interactives, have gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. So that is um, that is interesting to me. But I'm curious. I would be curious at what audience their interactive work is getting since most of their stories are you know picked up and put on other websites it is interesting that they have an interactive team hmm. I, was... I, I know about the the, the czech agency actually uh, the the czech news agency which also has an interactive team but they do like um, let's say there will be like ice hockey the championship of, of ice hockey and so they do these like um, interactive widgets you can uh, embed to your site and they, uh, you can like buy that from them so maybe it is also kind this kind of work that the the ap interactive team does what do you think i'm not sure i can't speak on that definitively but i haven't seen it embedded on a website um, but maybe i'm just missing it or unaware that it is there i will say that we are seeing a rise in services that do things like that um, because a lot of news organization websites are still shockingly terrible at um, incorporating code into them. So the easiest way to get you know, something into one of the main CMSs is through a basic embed. Okay. And uh, where do you see, I mean, okay, so let's say, um, I know that uh, quite a few people from like uh, Eastern Europe or Middle Europe are listening to, the, to this podcast and they maybe have not done like something interactive uh, themselves. So what would you suggest? Would you suggest to go out there and like look for some like open source uh, alternatives or like uh, try to code themselves something uh, small or Like how, how how would you guide them if yeah. you had the chance? Do you think do you think that that the the external companies creating software um, is is getting so advanced that you you don't really need an inter interactive team to actually do the, the the programming parts sort of? I don't think that we're there yet. The there's still a lot of value in having the interactive team and being able to collaborate and build exactly what you're looking for. There are a lot of cases where I'll have an idea and, you know, let's say a chart maker won't be able to do it exactly as I wish I could I could do it. The third-party tools are great resources to start doing this kind of work and to introduce it to your newsroom and be able to be able to do it with not a ton of um, resources if you don't have the money to hire a full team But being able to code from a um, being able to code exactly what you want still has a lot of a value for journalists. When people are starting out, I would recommend that they do take a look at open source work. There's a lot of um, a lot of news organizations have put out their work there so that you can you can replicate it. You know, something like NPR got a ton of press for 
their live annotation tool when they were annotating Trump's speeches. And that is open source on GitHub. And so is that anything you want to do has probably been done before yeah. or at least can be a good barrier or a good starting place for you. So so that I do recommend open source. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool projects on GitHub. So def definitely there, there's there's actually I don't know who's done it some kind of open source initiative, but they done uh, they they put together a, a list of uh, people and uh, interactive teams across the media organization across the world. Um, I have the link. I'll, I'll definitely include it uh, in the in the description of the podcast. So that's interesting because there's a like a long list of people and um, teams you can follow either on Twitter or on GitHub. Uh, and uh, for example, that, that, that's that's the way. Like uh, NPR also did. Um, Rachel, do, do you remember? Uh, they also really open source. They, they open source a bunch of things, but they also open source Dale too for like um, uh, visual stories. Uh, you know the ones that you click and like there's a piece of text and then then the picture. Yeah, I've been calling those type of stories step-by-step -step graphics where you read and then they're almost like slides that you go through. The, um, NPR had a ton of success with those. And I think they're really, um, I think they're really great ways to tell stories. I am always including those in my newsletter. Also, uh, I think New York Times is uh, using that kind of storytelling, but uh, a little bit different. I think they have their own tool, but I'm not sure about this. The New York Times has been doing some fun stuff that is similar, but instead it's more vertical scrolling. Um, you get new information as you scroll, where NPR's tool is more horizontal slide-like. Both of them are really interesting ways to tell stories. Yeah, and we mentioned uh, Medium in the new Medium series feature uh, in the beginning of the episode. and. The thing that I'm I'm actually um, quite well, I wouldn't say impressed because I'm not impressed with the medium series. It's I think it's a nice format, but um, personally, I like Stellar a lot more. The the app Stellar, um, which medium medium series basically is, is like a, a copycat of of that. But but anyway, the interesting part part of medium series is the fact that you can you can pick up on a story and continue to add content to a story instead of the way we are used to like back into in the good old print days when we wrote a, a reportage or something you know a, a, a long read and then we was it was printed in in the paper and if you needed to add content afterwards you had to write a follow-up but now you can create a, a medium series and then you can just pick up where you left off. Um, do you think that that this kind of of continuous storytelling uh, will become a thing in the media companies as well? I'm not very familiar with medium stories, but I will say that one of the big opportunities within interactive storytelling is providing context. And it can provide context that goes beyond or just the latest breaking news, but really put things into perspective on what this means and where it plays within the story. A lot of the storylines that we cover 
are super long. And, you know, if people don't feel like they have an adequate backstory to understand what's going on, they're more likely to just tune out and not follow that story at all. We see that a lot with like international conflict. If people don't feel like they have enough of a basis, it's just a story that they're not going to engage with, even if they're kind of interested. So I do like that news organizations are experimenting with different ways of adding that context and telling a story in more of a long form way. Um, NPR is doing some work with that. Tyler Fisher just published an article for Source called Subver Subverting the Story Model, where he talks a lot about how we need to go beyond just story after story and show people more of the context and the perspective. Um, so I would rec I can send you the link to that, and I would recommend reading that as well. And now, and and uh, I'll that link was actually well, in my last newsletter. Oh, it it was yes. That's I, I um, saved it. <laughs> we'll definitely add it to in the description of the the episode. Um, I was just wondering because now you've given us quite a few example of very good visual storytelling. Uh, and you said earlier that there were, you know, <clears throat> still some media outlets who did visual stuff only, you know, that looked good, but didn't didn't add anything to the story. Do you have some examples of bad visual storytelling? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not going to call anyone out on the podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would say that there, are, I. I mostly see them coming from smaller news organizations. Um, and in those cases, I am just excited that they are trying something. I think trying and failing is way better than not doing it at all. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily even call them failures, um, you know, but kind of putting something out there and seeing how it goes is really the only way to start doing something. But the things that cause me to take a look and, and maybe say that it's not as good as some of the other work I've done is when I don't understand the point of it, you know, that when I think, oh, that could have just been a text story or what is the graphic really adding there? Um, or yeah. if it brings up more questions than answers, that is, um, hmm. that, that's normally where, where I have some hesitations. So now I'm going to ask, ask the two of you, if you know what, what the point is with the New York times, uh, graphical feature that they released some uh, you know I, I think it was a month ago or something where they had these these shorts which um sort of you know ended before the really end and then you you could draw yourself the the end of the short the charts yeah oh, okay so you you guessed um how the chart would end and then you could see how far off you were. Um, do, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so that feature, I believe, was first done by 538. They oh. have been doing it for, I would say, over a year now. I'm not exactly sure when the first one came out. Um, I didn't know it's that. A great way to, it's a great way to test people's assumptions. Um, and it works really well with things that people have strong feelings about but are actually mm -hmm. number-based. So let's say things like welfare or healthcare numbers, things that you think you know, but aren't, you know, but maybe your assumptions aren't really backed up by the actual statistics. And so 
Um, I have seen the New York Times do it too. Um, and so they're fun ways to, to kind of see, to, to, to really test um, your personal theories um, and, and then find out what the true, the true facts are. What do you think, David? Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Uh, well, neither me. I didn't know. Uh, didn't know that uh, uh, five thirty-eight was was the first one. I actually thought the New York Times was. Yeah, so. me too. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Uh, they should do like a better marketing. I think. <laughs> no, no. I, I still follow five thirty-eight, and I love what they they are doing. But uh, this was quite a surprise to me to to hear this from you, Rachel. Yeah, five thirty-eight has done some really excellent. Uh, visual work, and they've really found their identity within the last year or so. I really love when I look at a graphic online and I can immediately tell who it's by, just having that strong branding. I get that from 538, and they also get that from the Marshall Project as well. Oh yeah, they, 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 they're really doing great stuff if they publish something. Uh, but I mean, they do not publish like often, right? So they publish like once in a while when they have like a big story. Or is it like, do they publish uh, more often? I think they publish incremental stories um, daily, but they do drop some really awesome big projects from time to time. You're right there. And uh, actually, you, um, when talking about interactive graphics, so there is this thing. So um, uh, I'm sure you follow Quartz and uh, mm. the thing that the, the, they're doing, like uh, they they came up with the chart builder. Now they have uh, the Atlas. Yeah. Uh, uh, com, which which is like an overview of all their charts, and um, uh, a few years like back, everyone wanted to like embed um, interactive charts uh, to their websites. Uh, like news organizations, uh, ours as well. And uh, it was, I think, or Vox, I think, I, I'm not sure now, but they started doing like uh, pictures uh, instead of like interactive graphics, uh, because I think the reason was because for like mo mo mobile views. So what's your take on this uh, charts? Uh, should we do like interactives or is, is better to do like like really simple charts um like bar charts or, or would you would you go like with a picture rather i think it depends on what you're doing and what your staff has um bar pictures aren't great um for it, it kind of hold on let me start over um it depends on what your goal is and what your staff is pictures can totally work depending on what you're doing but it depends on how they resize for mobile. I have seen some photos because they resize proportionally and then the text is a little hard to read on mobile. But um, and interactive graphics can solve that problem uh, depending on your code that you're using. So I would say they both have pros and cons um, and doing it is better than not doing it at all. <laughs> okay. Uh... I, I actually get that. Um, Sounds reasonable. I was just a little bit surprised because 
Yes, uh, totally does. Um, I was just curious. Uh, uh, wanted another opinion. I actually like the way that they started doing uh, the pictures because it always kind of always worked for, um, for on my on, on my smartphone. Uh, because, for example, if you embed um, a simple Google chart, it's not really responsive. I'm not sure. No, if, Google if charts are not responsive at all, which always shocked me when I tried to use them. But right? it is shocking. You Absolutely. Have been, yeah. But um, I do think that people are going back to photos because they're seeing that it's time to have their developers working on things that are more complex and add more than just um, than just doing basic charts. And I do think that that's like an efficient use of time. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. And um, <clears throat> Henrik, do, do you have yes. a question? Because I, I have a, an, another kind of question not related to this topic we just talked about. Yeah, I, I actually do. I have a question about... Uh... <laughs> Sorry? Go on. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, go on, go on. Um, I'm just... Uh, I'm I'm a little bit uncertain about the... the exact word, the term, but... Um, uh, I think it's called... Cinema... Cinematography. Or like... Ci uh, cinemagraphic. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like... Um, a combination of a standard photo and a video. So part of the photo is actually moving. Yeah, those were really big for a while. I haven't seen them in a little bit, but where they're basically where you maybe have a woman sitting at a table yeah. and the only thing that moves is her eyes blink or exactly. she moves her coffee she moves her coffee mug, you know, an inch and back. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of in between a GIF and a photo. Yeah. And they, I think when they're done well, they can be very visually engaging. Um, but I haven't, I actually haven't seen a, a lot of those recently now that you bring it up. Yeah, because I've, you know, I've noticed that they're actually um, coming back, at least when it comes to marketing. It's becoming quite popular among brands uh, for marketing so I was just wondering because often when those kind of visual stuff um, become popular uh, in the marketing sectors it could it, it it sometimes becomes popular in journalism as well so I was thinking perhaps perhaps it will make a glorious comeback in digital journalism. I think it makes sense in marketing because it is something that cat, um, that stops you and really catches your eye. So that makes sense to me. I don't see a huge opportunity there for journalism because it just doesn't add a ton to the story other than being um, a visually engaging tool. So I'm not sure if they're gonna make like a huge, but I will do think that journalism could do a better job of looking at other industries and what they're doing digitally and visually yeah. and um, kind of taking ideas from other industries instead of just continuing from each other. You yeah. know, there's there's a, a big habit of smaller news organizations looking at what New York Times 
Times and the Wall Street Journal are doing and then trying to mimic those when we should really be getting inspiration from men and advertising and marketing and um, a bunch of other industries as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, David, I actually think it, it's, um, I think you'll, you'll have to ask the last question if you're up for it. We're getting to that this, point this again. Actually, actually, <laughs> okay, so I have like two last questions. Two last questions. Like, really? No, no problems. <laughs> Go I'm, ahead. Shoot. I'm sorry. I, I always do this. Um, so, like, <laughs> n number one uh, regarding, uh, I talked about the mobile. So the, I think it was the New York Times. I, I'm guessing others as well, but they try in the last couple of like months or last couple of like. Two three years, they try to do um, interactive graphics with or like you know, visual storytellings uh, that, that were like um, that also worked on uh, really well or were were specifically designed for for smartphones. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but there was like it was maybe one year ago uh, they dissected this song by Justin Bieber. Uh, it was like for for mobile uh so not in landscape view but like um you, you, you um i'm not sure do, do you know what i'm talking about or not really <laughs> what was yeah, your question that was super that was super fun um so there is a difference in um in how you can approach mobile there is mobile friendly which means it works on mobile and then there's mobile native which means it was designed from mobile and then it also happens to work on desktop. And so when you're doing mobile native, you're thinking about gestures that people are already using on their phone, like swiping, tapping, things that you don't do on your desktop, obviously. Um, and as audiences are going more and more mobile and as we're having the analytics to back that up, um, for instance, Quartz put out a new um, project today called index where they look at different um, statistics on the global economy and they went with the mobile native approach for this new version of index and so they're using a lot of the things that we're used to using on their phone and when they sent it to me they said that their audience were on mobile and so it didn't make sense to start on desktop and work backwards it made sense to start on mobile and most are seeing similar statistics where they're at 50% or even over 50% on mobile. Yeah. Oh, that's actually great stats. Yeah. And, you know, and, mo uh, mobile should always be first. Always. Well, yes. It depends on, for example, our news outlet is uh, still has uh, the majority of the visitors coming in from desktops. Uh, so, for example, if I went to mobile first, mm. I'm not sure if it always worked. You, I would say that, and, uh, that it would, because if you go mobile first, you will have to prioritize mobile and then scaling up, which is a lot easier than prioritizing desktop and then scaling down. That's a lot harder, technically. Uh, yes, uh, I agree. Uh, although our website is like really built 
our, our website was really built like without anyone thinking about mobile so like uh, that's something we are waiting for yeah um like uh, in, to do a redesign and so sorry rachel and, and the, the the last <laughs> last question is like um regarding the the medium ser- series uh also you we see like the snapchat stories uh, facebook and instagram stories so do you see that these platforms are somehow like encouraging the the visual storytelling in people what what do you think because i'm like really curious to, to get someone else's perspective on this I think that people have always been really interested in visual storytelling when it makes sense, you know, when it's a moment that you can only get on video or a moment that you really need a photograph for. And so having it on our phones in the form of like Snapchat and Instagram stories really gives us a look into like other people's day and it makes us feel more connected with them. And so I do think that we'll be inspired by that. Um, and I, what I hope that they do is that they take that platform and they use it in a smart way to tell stories. And it's not just like, hey, all the kids are on Snapchat and we need to be on Snapchat too, but a more intelligent and thoughtful approach at, okay, if we know the audience is on Snapchat, how can we use the platform in a way that they're going to want to connect with us there? Because sometimes I think we enter in a new social media platform or just a new platform in general. And when we don't really know what we're doing, it's super obvious. And one of the big things that we can do with digital brands is tell people that, hey, we know how to use the internet. We know how to use these cool platforms that you're already on. And if you spend time with us, it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna work. You're gonna learn something. It's gonna be entertaining for you. Um, And so that's why visual storytelling is so important to get right because when you get it wrong, it's a really big hit to your brand. Wow, that's yeah. actually really clever. <laughs> yeah, really clever. Great, great uh, last statement. So and uh, are, are, sorry, sorry, just one more <laughs> last question. Like, are you are you a Snapchat the, person or the last person? last just... question? <laughs> I am one hundred percent Snapchat. I have yet to post an Instagram story. I don't understand why we're getting more of them. We have Snapchat already. <laughs> Like there are so many internet problems to solve. Go find a new one. We don't need any more of them. Yes. <laughs> so awesome. I'm not on Snapchat and I hate Instagram stories. <laughs> but uh, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should do something with that. You should get some lessons on how to Snapchat from yeah. Rachel. But you know, I have Stellar. That's pretty alternative. So okay, but that's that's really a, like a niche thing. To yeah, have. I know. Um, Rachel, it's been really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And you know, yeah, it, it was a pleasure. You you were like so clever. <laughs> like, absolutely. You know, I feel like this this was like really educational. So thanks for that. We usually end our episodes um, by urging our listeners to check out our website checkyourfacts.eu and also to subscribe to our newsletter but now we should we we should also urge all of our listeners to subscribe to the best in visual storytelling uh, newsletter because it's a very very good newsletter 
Thank you so much. I would love to have you. Yeah. Uh, cool. And also, uh, don't forget to check out uh, Rachel's website, her her Twitter. She's she's really active on Twitter, so that's that's great. And uh, her her Snapchat. Um, uh, so what what uh, are you open for people following you on Snapchat, Rachel? Yes, my Snapchat is open. And uh, what's what's be, your be kind. Be kind, exactly. Always be kind. That's our motto, sort of. Uh, okay, so also follow Rachel on Snapchat. And with that said, um, yeah. uh, thanks for uh, listening to us. And, That's uh, it for bye, today. Rachel. Yeah. Bye, guys. See you on Snapchat or <laughs> or someplace else.